Welcome to Scene Change, a podcast by the National Federation of the Blind's Performing Arts Division. All about equality, opportunity, accessibility, and the arts. Here, you'll learn adaptive techniques from performers in the know. We are changing what it means to be blind, one stage at a time. Thank you for joining us today. Calling all creatives. Would you like to hone your songwriting and lyric crafting skills? Do you want to contribute to new music for the National Federation of the Blind? Then please consider entering the 2024 Federation Song Contest. Submit your material by March 15th, 2024. Both music and lyrics are welcome. Top contestants will be invited to a songwriting retreat in Baltimore this summer. All information can be found on our website, nfb-pad.org. That's nfb-pad.org. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Hey everyone, this is Elizabeth with a quick reminder that orders are now open for 2024 Valentine's Day telegrams. Anytime between now and 11.59pm on Sunday, February 4th, you can visit us at nfb-pad.org to select special songs for your friends and family. As always, you can order just one for $5, or you can get the most bang for your buck by ordering five unique and creative gifts for just $20. We've added some new selections this year, so there's something everyone will love. Again, that website is nfb-pad.org, and thank you in advance for letting us spread love on your behalf this V-Day season. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Scene Change. I'm your host, Lizzie Muhammad Park, and we have a transformative episode for you today. We're not talking about basic New Year's resolutions, as you've heard them before, but rather the changes that can come from true transformation and self-understanding. I'm interviewing a fellow Federationist, life coach, and musician, and I just found out he's also a podcaster. JP Williams. Welcome to the show, JP. Hey, great to be here, Lizzie. Good to be with you. So glad to have you. So I did a little research and Uh I I saw that you were uh, born in Indiana, but then moved to Texas and then Georgia and now Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Could you walk us? Yeah. yeah. Could you walk (laughs) us through a bit of your journey? Yeah. So uh, I guess long story short, uh, yeah, I was born in Clarksville, Indiana, spent the first uh, few years of my life in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and, uh, parents got transferred to Dallas, Texas. So from ages, age six to 15, I lived in Dallas, Texas. And then, uh, at the age of 15, my parents wanted to get back to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, which is where they're deeply rooted, where they're originally from. So I'm very, you know, I have like cousins and aunts and uncles in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a little over two hours from here, from Nashville, Tennessee, where I am now. Uh, but at the age of 15, we wanted to, to get back close to family. So we did. Uh, at that point is when I discovered music, actually, 
and uh, Chattanooga, I, you know, obviously brought us closer to Nashville. So that became kind of my journey in uh, learning about songwriting. Uh, first, you know, fell in love with performing and doing that whole thing. Um, and through that path, I found a true love for lyrics and melody. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, you know, I would say from the ages 17 to about 30, you know, like uh, I, in, in the midst of all that, you know, finished school, obviously went and majored in music at, at Uni University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and then um, and then moved to the Atlanta area. But in the midst of all that, I was coming back and forth to, to Nashville. I just couldn't let it go. I was just enticed by the whole uh, experience of what is it like to be a songwriter in Nashville? And and my dream job was to one day um, get a staff writing uh, publishing deal. And I was able to actually do that. I was able to, uh, through all these trips that I would take back and forth, and that would be on like a Greyhound bus or with a friend, um, you know, just hitching rides wherever I could get them uh, to get here. And I would get a hotel room and just start calling publishers and, you know, networking and all that kind of thing. And and eventually I was coming so much that I was like, you know, uh, uh, me and a young lady that I was dating at the time broke up. So I was like, if I don't go now, I'm never going to go. And it was always going to be sort of a what if in my head. And so I would rather come. This is the, with the conclusion I came to. I would rather come here and get really uncomfortable and and fail than stay where I was and and have regrets. You know, like I only wonder what would have happened if I would have moved to Nashville, you know? So, um, so yeah, in 2006, I, I moved here and met my wife. And then a few years later, I did, uh, get in with a publisher and I was there for about eight years, um, as a paid staff songwriter on, on music row. Um, I know that's kind of the long story short, but, um, that's a little bit of my journey, just a little. <laughs> ah, don't worry. We're going to delve way into it. Uh, so okay. you mentioned, um, <laughs> working with a, a publishing team. I'm not too familiar with that. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. So um, especially, you know, now, as you know, the music business, just I, I would, the entertainment business as a whole has changed so much, um, not just the music industry, but in, in, in line with that, you know, um, publishing um, companies were definitely more uh, of a common thing here in Nashville. I mean, they're still around, but as far as like independent publishers and um, artists cutting outside songs and things like that, that was that was more of a a, a thing that was happening in the music business. Uh, I mean, for years and years and years. Um, and so, on Music Row, before a lot of the progress started happening here in in Nashville in two thousand. 15, I guess that all started, you know, Music Row looked really different. There was all these old houses that were converted into publishing companies. And um, yeah, you could walk up and down Music Row. And um, uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of times it was hard to, for them to take unsolicited material. But um, you could you could walk up and down and build relationships and go in and say hello to people and play them songs and all that kind of thing. Um, so when I when I moved here, that was still happening. And so um, I just, I was like, I, I've got to do that. I've got to, this is my dream job. I mean, I can't believe you can go in at 10 a.m., uh, sometimes noon, depending on the songwriter and how late they'd been out the night before, uh, go in and, you know, in essence, you know, 
punch the clock and uh, sit around and imagine for hours and just try to think of, of songs. And, um, and so, you know, I had a, a deal with a company here in town. And um, so basically they, they pay you a, a draw, they call it, and it's an advance towards future royal royalties. So it's in essence, it's kind of like a bank, like a record deal, you know, whereas mm -hmm. they, they front the money and, uh, and eventually, you know, you got to pay that back, but um, that's just kind of how it works. Um, but I would go in and, and uh, at that publisher and that publisher would set up co-writes with other writers at other publishing houses. So they would come over and, and uh, you know, you'd meet somebody for the first time and it was like creative dating. And sometimes it went really well. It was kind of weird. You never knew why it worked, but you would sit down with someone and, and, you know, hi, nice to meet you. Now let's get really vulnerable <laughs> and talk about pain and, and all these kinds of things and joy too, but it ran the gamut, you know? Um, and we would just think of ideas. And so a lot of my time when I wasn't writing was to be sitting around and thinking of ideas. So, you know, you read a lot, I read a lot of Hemingway and a lot of, you know, I mean, I read just constantly and mm -hmm. watch movies and things like that. And try to find those little nuggets that are just, and, and it's like little treasures that you find, even being around people, somebody might say something and you really have to, you know, like don't get too excited, you know, because if they don't realize they set a hook, <laughs> it's fair game, you know, but no, but like these normal everyday phrases that no one ever thought about, you know, somebody would say something and I, and I think in my head, like, okay, they said X, Y, Z, what if you flipped it around? And you said it mm. like this instead. And so it always kind of sparked ideas. And it always come when you least expect it. Somebody would say something and you ah, oh, okay, there's an idea. You know, and it's so much fun. I and mean, there's no better feeling than when a melody and a lyric land at the right moment. It's like a little magic trick. It's just, it, it lights my brain up. I'll, I'll do it till the, till they put me in the ground. It's, it's addicting. It's, it's definitely addicting. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. So is there some sort of a routine or ritual or place that you like to go? Like, I, I know that, you know, it seems like um, along Music Row is, is sort of like this place that, that that would be the place that you go to. But I know people also write songs on vacation or they'll have places that like inspire them. It Was there anything that, you know, was inspiring for you while you were at the company, while you were at the company or or that inspires you now? Yeah, I think so. Like, so that the, it's really neat. And again, um, because of all the growth here in Nashville, a lot of these old houses have been torn down and replaced by hotels and uh, skyscrapers and all this kind of thing. But um, a lot of those houses and the, the, you know, were back in the seventies, like Waylon and Willie would write songs there and you would hear stories about, you know, what was created. And so all your heroes wrote at, at, in these buildings, there was a mystique to it for sure. The building I was in at the company I was at, um, just tons of other uh, companies had been there. In fact, I, I believe that the building I was in, Waylon Jennings had a studio there at one time in the seventies. And, and so you would hear tales of what that, was like, you know, and you always put those people on a pedestal, you know, your heroes. Um, but so 
honestly, just being on Music Row for a long time for me was really, really inspiring. Because um, there's always ideas, and, and it's it's kind of like um, uh, you you move to Hollywood to be a screenwriter. You know, you're around like-minded people, so you can't help but to feed off that a little bit. You know, that's true. Um, and then, but yes, definitely travel has always inspired me. Um, I know Savannah, Georgia is one of my favorite places, and I'll go there. And I love to go there and just. I don't know. There's just something about that place, the vibe that inspires me creatively. There's a lot of different areas and places to go, but I don't know. Sometimes you're just putting up the dishes though, you know, and something sparks you. So it just depends. Mm. You just never know, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what tips do you have for people who are new to songwriting? Um, what, what should people be learning first? Uh, before they they jump into to a field like this you know i would i would look at the business soberly as, you know for what it truly is i think it's great to have a dream and to be enticed but um so just to and i, and I say this not to be negative i just i just say this because it, it is a reality and i would just believe in being honest you know um there's a hundred because of digital downloads and the way people create music now so quickly there's 125,000 songs released daily on uh, music streaming platforms. And with AI coming, um, it's going to be about 500,000 a day is what they're predicting. And so like most things, the consumer with AI is going to be able to create their own songs. I'm sure you've heard the term deep fakes. You know, they'll be able to, I, I assume if the artist gives permission, they'll be able to create a song, choose a loop and choose, I don't know, whoever the big artist is, choose their voice and put their voice on that song. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how that all that's going to work, but it, it's here, you know. Um, but some people think that that's really daunting. But to me, it's actually freeing because now there's no other choice but to do it for all the right reasons, you know. Do it for yourself. Do it because you've got something to say. And it's for me, it's I, I love getting a message across. Uh, music is therapeutic. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I still do it. Um, and then if lightning strikes, you might write a hit. Who knows? But um, but you got to, I, th I think, looking at the business soberly because it is a business and, you know, commerce and art. Uh there's always been a tension there. there. There always will be. And it's always going to progress whether you like it or not. So <laughs> um, if you can see where we're headed as a good thing, um, it can be very freeing and um, you can just create because, you know, it's an ocean out there. But if you've got something to say, say it, put it out there. And you have That's the technology, good. technology and the means to do it. So why not? You know? Mm hmm. That's that's really good. So we all know that speaking of technology, we all know that, you know, technology can really be helpful. Um, yes. And then there are there are also times when it can sort of get in the way or things are not accessible. Are there any particular challenges to songwriting um, from an accessibility standpoint? That's a good question. I think. um they call them DAWs, yeah, you know, digital audio workstations. 
and that would be a, a program like Logic, Pro Tools. Um, those are continuously being upgraded, and there's always going to be things that, that need to be improved. But it's it's getting more and more easier to create your own tracks in your like that's what I'm doing. I'm loving this now. So now I my passion really is to be autonomous and play uh, most things on my tracks, sing them, you know, get them mixed and, and mastered by someone who, who really can make it sound the way it needs to sound. But in my guest room here where I'm sitting now, I've got everything I need. Um, my computer, uh, some guitars, a good mic. And um, I am absolutely loving just releasing my own music. If I like it, I record it, sing it, put it out there. And it's, it's, a, it's a blast. Um, as far as challenges, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't believe so. I mean, if, if you work on your craft and that, that could be an instrument, whether it be piano, guitar, whatever instrument you, you want to get proficient at, I mean, it, it's, it's all there for you. It's uh it just takes work. You just got to put in the, the hours to get it right. But um, I think things are becoming more and more accessible from my vantage point, but that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so as you speak, I get a sort of, you know, just go for it vibe. Um, and I wonder where does that come from? Um, where does your confidence come from in, in knowing that even with all, all of the songs that are out there, I've got something to say too. And I'm going to I'm going to produce it. I'm going to put it out. What where does that come from? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's you know, if I if I I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have my own version of an imposter voice that comes in to play sometimes and says, you know, what are you doing? You're not good enough. All the things. Mm -hmm. uh, happens all the time, comes in. Um, I think accepting that, that tension, that dissonance of the creator and what they're trying to create will always be there. There's no utopia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're looking for utopia, you know, then just don't try. Um, but tension is good. Challenge is good, you know? Uh, and, and so I think that's, and, and also to, having gotten in more into the mental health field, personal development field, the last few years and getting some training and being more open has been a confidence builder. Um, I always tell people you want to have a dream, but the dream doesn't need to have you, you know, you want to be able to, to navigate and uh, say yes, no, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, Definitely. Yeah, for a long time, I think the dream kind of got a hold of me and it kind of made me jaded a little bit. And uh, I'm just glad to be on the other side of that. I'm not saying that um, I don't have days that are very uncomfortable, you know, when I'm trying to figure something out. That's that's uh, that's always going to occur. But um, I, I think, too, with age, you just get to a point where you're like, OK, well, you've gotten through this before, so you'll get through it again. So I do think I do think just seasoning and and going through experiences and 
failing, succeeding, failing, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and just realizing that, you know, life, there's ebb and flow to life and, and that, and I always tell people this, that the creative arts, the, the music business or the entertainment business, it's not a linear business. If you're looking for a straight line, um, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of challenges in being an and a, a doctor or a lawyer, but there is a system like, you, you know, that if you do these steps that you're going to become a doctor, you know, uh, with music, mm -hmm. with any kind of entertainment, uh, it zigzags all over the place. I remember early when I w moved here, I was writing with a, a writer who had had some success and he said, you know, when I got the call that my song went number one, I was waiting tables. So the, the sooner you can accept that, I think uh, the better and just don't try to, you, you get jaded when you want things to be different than they are, you know? So if you can, if you can accept the way things are, uh, usually it's, you'll be able to navigate it a lot uh, smoother. I don't know if that you answers your question. <laughs> no, well, you know what? I, it does because I'm, what I'm hearing is that your confidence came from experience really. Yeah. Um, and basically that's that it in a nutshell. Were, yeah. You know, <laughs> I took that, the long <laughs> way around, but yeah, no, no. You know, <laughs> that if, if you, if you had just sat in the safe zone, maybe you wouldn't, you know, feel as confident as you do because you wouldn't have all these experiences. So that is something that our listeners certainly, um, need to hear. And you, you talk about this on your blog, um, which is a little more geared towards, towards the, the mental health side, but it's cool that you, um, you do life coaching in, in songwriting too, from what I saw. So we'll yes. get into that in a second, but, yeah. but, on, you know, on your blog, you know, you were, you were saying basically to embrace discomfort, you know, and to accept the different things, um, about, about yourself and sort of having that as a starting point, I think is, is really powerful for people to hear and, and to know and to understand. Um, so since I brought it up, <laughs> why don't we, could you tell us a little bit about your, um, the way that you've combined life coaching with songwriting and with music. Yeah. So uh, as I was doing co-writes every day and getting to know people and it was, it was interesting because I, I didn't really know it, but it just came natural um, to, I, I noticed that the, the more I took interest in other people uh and I didn't want, you know, like the more I let them succeed in the room, I didn't always have to have the best idea, you know, and the more I could release um, ego and let other people succeed, including myself. Sometimes I had a good idea too, you know, but um, a lot of times people think they got to be the smartest in the room and that, that didn't work so well for me. So the more interest, you know, the, I just find people are just fascinating. We're all just human nature and what makes us tick. It's just fascinating. And so um, around 2018, um, I had a song that went to number one. And um, at the same time, my publishing deal ended. And just there was something inside of me that, that thought, you know, maybe I could go get another publishing deal or... Um, or keep going down this road. I was, I was going down at the time. And I was like, there's gotta be, it just felt narrow to me personally. And I wanted to open myself up to, to, to new things. And so um, I started working for this tech company. And while I was there, 
they offered a benefit through, it was a mental health platform and I was assigned a, a mental health coach. And so after a few sessions, I just thought, this is a cool gig. So I asked the guy, I said, you know, how did you get into this? And he told me. And so I just went and, you know, uh, walked through his steps that he described and um, was able to get, uh, went through a, a training institute, coactive training institute, and then got certified as a coach through International Coach Federation. And uh, and so, yeah, um, now it's a great parallel to what I'm doing because I can be somewhat flexible and write my own music. Uh, I have time to do that and go on co-writes that I think might uh, be beneficial. I can sort of pick and choose, you know. Um, but, uh, but I do teach songwriting along with that. I've, I've done a good bit of that and coach people through songwriting. And, um, you know, if you can, if you can get curious about the whole person, not just the music side of somebody, but the whole person, you know, what are their, if they're open to it, you know, what are their religious beliefs? What, what kind of lens do they look through there spiritually? What kind of lens do they look through politically and just get super curious uh, it's really, really gratifying. And so when you see people actually improve in front of you uh, and they're doing the work, you know, I always say this, this new chapter I'm in now with being a mental health coach, it was inspired actually through, I was, I was always curious, why have certain relationships been so toxic when people came in as the helper, right? Cause I'm a, I'm a blind person, you know, why, why, why did those, why, why did those relationships end up so toxic a lot of time, a lot of the time. And, um, I got really curious about that. And, um, and, and so I wanted to, uh, knowing what that felt like being on the receiving end of that, um, I wanted to empower people and sort of give them their white cane, so to speak, you mm -hmm. know, teach them how to read braille figuratively. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you give people the tools, they do the work, they figure it out. You know, I'm not there to solve problems. They solve their own problems. I'm just providing the space for them to, to do that. And it's the same thing as, you know, someone leading a blind person to work every day or someone, a mobility instructor being hands off. Here's a cane. This is how you use it. And let me show you how to get there. So then, you know, you're good to go. Does that make, it, does that make right. sense? Right. No, it does. And, and you know what? Um I'm fascinated by um, someone who's teaching classes also being a mental health professional, because I wonder um, if you are able to, of course, they are writing their own music and you are there to help them along. But I wonder uh, if if your impact is, is stronger now that you uh, have more of a sense of I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe maybe I'll put this in a question instead of making an assumption. Maybe I'll ask you then. Um, how do you feel that being a mental health coach has enhanced your teaching? I think that's really what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Well, the training institute I went to, the the it was th basically a principle of everyone is creative, resourceful, and whole. So you know, um, we're all whole people. You know. Um, and so I think that more hands-off approach, um, I think just in all my relationships has been very healthy. 
Um, cause you're right. They write their own music, just like even when it's not, cause primarily I work for a mental health platform. And so I work with people, uh, fortune 500 companies and, and things like that. So I work for a, a company where these, uh, organizations offer this as a benefit. And so, um, every day I'm, I'm speaking to people all over the country, you know, about their dreams. And sometimes they are songwriters, but a lot of times they're just people, wanting to get better at their own lives, you know? And so when I see them through that lens of everyone is cre creative, resourceful, and whole, um, I'm not there again. I'm not there to solve their problem. You know, I'm not there to help them. I'm there to give them an opportunity to figure their own life out. So I think, wow. yeah, I think that is how I approach when I do songwriting, specifically lessons, you know, um, I'm not there to tell them to tell their story. I'm there to provide space so that they can tell their story. And that's empowering and that's different. Right. Right. And you also have these tips that you're able to help people. Um, you, if they're facing a, a sort of creative block, uh, you have tips that you're able to, to share with them and say, you know, the, here's one, I guess, method or way that you might release that and, and let the creative energy flow. At least absolutely. that's what I read on your blog. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So that's yeah, good. That's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So, okay. So back to you, <laughs> like not as much about, about you teaching others, but more about your personal story. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if reconciled is the right word, but I'm just going to throw it out there. If you have a better one, please feel free yeah. to use it. But yeah, uh, it seems that um, you've been able to um, reconcile uh your relationship with with blindness by recognizing it as a trauma and and naming it in that way um so for one um what does trauma mean for anyone who's listening and isn't uh, familiar with the true meaning of the term and how has that sort of um, naming and then reconciliation how has that helped you Wow, that's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, so I was born with retinopathy of prematurity. And so I had limited vision, in my, only in my left eye, up to the age of 10. And then they went in to do a surgery. It's called a sclera buckle surgery uh, to save what bit of retina I had in that left eye. And the sight didn't return. And, um, uh, and so at that point, uh, I had... I got glaucoma and had like, gosh, six surgeries. And it was a tough year, you know? And then, you know, it's wild because <clears throat> I, I was talking to my sister recently and I want to get vulnerable here, but, you know, like a year later, my parents divorced. And so I was, I was like, wow, that was, that was a tough time, you know? And just to, to, to acknowledge that. And for a long time in life, you know, I think it was a survival mechanism for me. And I think it was what I was taught. And I mean, I love my mother, you know, she's a, strong woman. But I think the way we coped in our family was sort of this toxic positivity um, and silver lining and anything to resist um, the truth of, of certain situations. And so I thought discomfort was a bad thing. So for most of my life, I wanted to buffer that discomfort. I mean, uh, later on in life, it became um, and, and no shame or judgment to those who drank or, you know, I'm not vilifying alcohol, but 
um, I, I loved some alcohol, you know, to, to, to buffer the way I was feeling that discomfort and cause I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't want to feel it. And so, um, there was a, a point it was during COVID. And I think a lot of us, our, um, routines were disrupted. Our patterns were disrupted and we were sort of, um, having to do some social distancing and things got quiet for me. And I was uh, working from home and I just, it was weird. It was like a, uh, I was just doing my job on my computer. And um, I just had this thought of, wow, when I went blind at 10 and parents divorced a year later, I mean, that was a form of trauma. And it was like a I'm not saying like music played and like a light shine down from heaven or anything weird like that, but it was like a physiological response. Like, wow, that's really honest. Like I'm finally kind of, my inner dialogue is becoming really honest right now. And I really liked the way that felt. And so um, I, I, I then just, I don't know, my life began to slowly change around me or maybe, maybe things stayed the same a little bit, but I, I changed. So I, therefore I experienced, started to experience things differently. And a lot of that for me was just uh, anything that, that I was doing to, to sort of uh, resist reality uh, was just causing me problems. It was getting me stuck. And the more I was able to just feel what I needed to feel, and and find acceptance uh it was a really powerful experience i have to say um uh, i still you know i'm a huge believer in the philosophy of, of the nfb and that you know it's a characteristic and i totally i'm on board with that uh, i'm only talking about my own individual experience and how of i course. came to turn and i how i came to terms with it uh and that that was kind of what happened the last few years. So I'm, I'm sort of, uh, so that being said, that story I use a lot with clients because I see them like we all do because of our biology. We, our brains like to keep us safe. It's just doing our biology is tr always trying to serve us. So it's always trying to just keep us safe and, and loves to, the brain loves to seek pleasure, avoid pain, be efficient. So that's all it's trying to do, <laughs> you know, um, that's, but, but at the same time, now we have these, we're, we're in an age now where we have everything on our phone. I mean, blind sighted, we, we can get on our phones and get distracted like that, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, we've got Netflix and a couch and, uh, <laughs> and that's why these, these platforms, uh, again, not vilifying anything, but just, that's why they make so much money. You know, they know this. So, um, so yeah. So I always bring self-compassion into my sessions. Cause I'm just like, uh, I see people doing it a lot. Like they start ruminating and they, they can't sleep at night and it's, we're trying to resist something. We're trying to, to resist, uh, reality or, or, I mean, for me, that's what it was. It was just, I didn't want to accept you know, what it really was. And once I named it, then I could tame the, the feelings. Wow. So really checking in with what was going on and being present as opposed to avoiding. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. And did you notice any change in your songwriting or in your music or 
any of your creative spaces after this experience or was everything? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, I, I sort of put it away for a little while. I was just like, yeah, I've used this I, I, there again. I used music like I used alcohol and other things to avoid. And so I was, I, I wanted to find a place in life where I would be okay if music wasn't even in my life anymore. You know, like if it just went away and I also wanted to choose it. I didn't want it to choose me. And so I put it away for a little while and then I came back to it, but now I come back to it with a really fresh perspective and, uh, and if I have something to say, I, I write it, you know, and if I don't, that's okay. But, um, it's, it's definitely more, uh, intentional, I guess you'd say. So what is that process like the writing process for you these days? Um, you know, you're no longer going into the building and I guess sitting with, with other people. You're now uh, in your in your guest room. You have your instruments there. What is the process like for you these days? Yeah, well, I will say that I I I still co-write. Definitely not uh, at the level I was co-writing before. Just out of just the, the way things are now, you know, um, my, just because of my schedule. But like I had a, a co-write with a, a buddy uh, just a couple of days ago, and so uh, I still love doing that because I love collaborating with people but but now um i believe you know it's more quantity or more excuse me it's more quality rather than quantity and um and so that's good uh and i uh it's like for instance i i love this phrase chop wood carry water and um i just i love that phrase when it comes to the creative process just do the work just chop wood carry water and uh, so I wrote this song actually with my wife because my wife writes songs too, and we do a podcast together. And um, I just I come in here and open a session and and start going. And I have uh, just a, a lot of musicians and friends that I will send them the session. You can do everything remotely now. I'll send them the session. Like if I love the way some the particular musician plays a certain style, I can send him that session. He puts his part on, sends it right back to me, and keep rocking. So I, I collaborate with musicians as well, not not to mention songwriters. But uh, but yeah, that's it's very. Um, I guess you'd say a little bit more remote. You know, uh, everybody kind of doing their thing in, in different places. Um, I, there's a great uh, bluegrass player that played on that song that I just mentioned, "Chop Wood Carry Water," that uh, I, we've never met in person. I just love the way he plays. And so we'll go back and forth and he'll send me his part and it's a blast. But besides the obvious, I'm wondering now, what are the differences between co-writing and writing solo? Um, oh, one thing I, I will say to the solo writing end of things, the healthier that I've become. Uh, and again, have you have your good weeks and your bad weeks, but the healthier that I've become, uh, from a well-being standpoint, it's 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 a lot more fun to co-write by myself rather than you know just beating up on myself all the time and kind of a angsty artist sort of perspective that it's just I don't know I mean it it still strikes me on occasion but um, but I love yeah the the writing by myself and 
and you're just free to, you have to be your own editor and, um, you know, which is, which is, has always been a little bit of a challenge for me. And I, you know, I'm trying to get more and more comfortable with silence in the room. You know, when you're writing with one person or another person, two people in the room, three of you, whatever, there's always dialogue happening. And that's, that's a lot of fun. But, um, so I guess that would be the, the, the biggest difference is, is you'd have to learn to really trust yourself. And if you like it, then it means something. Mm -hmm. So how do you all collaborate if there are two or three people in a room? Is this a Google Doc situation or? How, how yeah, you... Google Doc. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, being a blind person, I have to I'm like a lot of blind people. I'm sure you have to create a really good, you know, uh, kind of get really good at, at memorizing mm -hmm. what someone else says or, you know, as you're writing the song, you're playing it down, um, you know, memorizing as you go what's being said in the room. And uh, and that's always fun. But uh, yeah, just it, Google Docs um, tracks are a are a big part of music these days. The I think magic ingredient, if, as far as from a business standpoint, if a songwriter can uh, say, if you're not a track person, if you can be in the room with a track person and an artist, uh, you've kind of got the tools you need to to potentially you know get something done for the day. Um, I'm trying to get good at both where I can build a track. I, I did that on Saturday actually with someone. I built the track as we went along and wrote, you know, so you're working different sides of your brain at the same time as you're building the track and using the technology. Then you're also thinking of lyrics and, um, which is a fun challenge for sure. It sounds like it. Yeah. Let's switch gears and talk about your podcast. I do want to hear. Uh, what's the name of it? What's it about? I know you, are you co-hosting with your wife? It mm -hmm. sounds like. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We, we came up with a funny name. Um, it's called the blonde leading the blind podcast. And, uh, <laughs> I like it. She, she happens to have <laughs> blonde hair. Um, and so it's personal development and it's each episode is about five to six minutes long. So we keep it really short, but like the chop wood carry water song, we just, we, uh, the, the emphasis on that, uh, episode is no matter what level of life you're at success wise you just have to do the things you have to do the work you have to sit down and and do the work and um and try to kind of release yourself from thinking too much about the result you know and be in your moment so we wrote a song we tracked it recorded it and and then so for this episode in particular we'll talk a little and then play a bit of the song and then talk a little more and then you know um and then, you know, the song kind of comes in and out. And then uh, and then we have a link, you know, to where people can go listen to the to the whole song in a, uninterrupted. But uh, but yeah, we've done a few episodes like that where we'll just, you know, talk about the creative process or just more personal development type things. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. We started it, uh, the, the podcast back in January of this year and um, we've had a really good good time with it. And it's just been Something and other, you know, a really uh, gratifying creative outlet to put out into the world, uh, and something that we and say things that we would want to hear, you know, that help us. That's really cool. Yeah. What um, what made you both start this? Like, what what was the the original idea 
behind it where you said, you know what, I want to put this podcast out there? Well, my wife is a coach too. So she's in the personal development space and she's a writer and she writes content. And, um, and so we, a lot of it is just using it as a tool to promote our businesses. Um, while at the same time, the, the, the main, um, I guess the, the, uh, main point of it was to just, I don't know, put some positivity out there in the world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and so we've, we've really had a great time doing Very it. I necessary. think, yeah, yeah, we we need like this, this show here, we need good stuff. We need, we need to collaborate. We need to talk. We need to explore and be curious about one another. For sure. And I like, um, the format that you both have chosen where it's, you know, you keep it nice and short, just, you know, people get a snippet, they get their, you know, their dose of positivity and, and creative thinking and it, it gets them going and they still have time to do other things too. So I, I enjoy that. That's really cool. I'll, I'll yeah. uh, check you both out and catch your name too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so yeah. before we wrap up here, I always have to ask uh, where our listeners can find you on social media. I know you've got some good stuff on, I believe Instagram um, and you know, your website, just anywhere that our listeners can find you. Please just let them know so that they can keep in touch. Yeah. You can go to jpwilliams.net for my website. Uh, Instagram is blindmangram. Um, JP Williams on Facebook. Uh, I think JP Williams Music on Twitter. I don't, yeah, I'm trying to get on there a little more these days. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm on there. Um, yeah. And uh, as far as music streaming platforms, I'm on all the, the Spotify, Apple Music, uh, all those places as well. Excellent. Well, it was so nice to hear more about you, your personal story, the work that you're doing with others, uh, the songwriting process. We have a lot of information in this episode. <laughs> so well, Lizzie, it's so been a much. pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. It's been so of much course, fun. Of Great course. Great to meet Come you. Come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Scene Change. Stop you, shoot for the sun and break on through. So you're blind, you'll be fine. We got good news. You can live the life you want. Yes, we know the truth. You can live the life you want. Yes, we know the truth. I'm Caitlin McIntyre, president of the National Federation of the Blind Performing Arts Division. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Scene Change. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website at nfb-pad.org. There you'll find links to our social media, membership, and resources for blind performers. Thanks to everyone who makes this show happen. Scene Change is produced by Shane Lowe, Joe Schooneman, Precious Perez, Chris Nussbaum, Sayun Choi, and Aaron Jordan. With music by Ryan Strunk and Tom Page. Remember, you can be the performer you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. We'll see you next time.